changing your corner of the universe change the world? We think so. You've heard the quote, be the change you want to see in the world. But what does that look like? This is where we meet the people that are walking that out. One person, one idea, one decision at a time. Here's Baden and Rex. Welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we had a really great conversation with John Bush of Freedom Cells. Really great organization. Um, It's kind of like an online forum for like-minded people who want to come together, have a, a local smaller community, basically for preparation, for cohesiveness, for working together. You'd be surprised if you went on their site and you signed up that there's a good chance that there's some people in your city, at least in your general area, who are there, who want to connect um, and think of things in a like manner. So if things kind of you needed independence, if you needed to be more self-sufficient, you have a network of people that you could work together with. Yeah, I think it's a great way for people to uh, utilize skills of other people in their area. So, uh, you know, like my neighbor, for example, he's an electrical engineer, so he's good at being able to, you know, do that kind of stuff. So to be able to have someone like that work together, if you want to go do a homestead or whatever it may be, it's a great way to be able to connect and kind of create goals to be able to um, have a support grid in your area, especially right now. I mean, we live in some crazy times, so it's, yeah, it's a safety net for sure. Yeah, and I think you can look at it in different ways. It could be as extreme as like you're expecting the full collapse of the United States and full anarchy and you have to basically lean on your network or let's just say something major happens and the power's out for two weeks and you want to be able to have people you rely on, like you said, in these freedom cells that you can connect with um, and communicate with. And so I think that there's all different routes for these freedom cells to be used for all different purposes. Yeah, I really like the idea. It's a great way to... Um, you know, take advantage of the skills, but also to pull resources, you know, you can really get together, whether that's, uh, you know, you want to create like some type of homeschool cooperative, or, uh, you know, he even mentioned uh, a way to be able to kind of create a health co-op, which Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, it's just thinking outside the box. And, you know, we kind of get so used to doing things in a certain way to see someone with some fresh ideas is, is kind of nice. Yep, yep. You, uh, we need to be able to lean on each other through times of prosperity and times of uncertainty. And uh, towards the end of the conversation, we learned a little bit about Kratom, which uh, like I, me and Rex had talked about just a little bit ago, I had heard advertised and nothing about it. Rex didn't know much about yeah, it. I've so never really it, yeah. cool to learn more about Kratom um, and what it is, the benefits of it, the, I guess, quote unquote, risks, if you would, but it is a, a naturally occurring substance but just really cool you know it's worth at least listening to and being like oh, i should learn more about this and john gives you a great way to get some uh, free samples of it if you want to try some so i think that was really cool yeah and you know it doesn't really matter where you're listening this to because uh, if you go on to freedomcells.org there are people all over the world that are part of it so if you're not in the united states you know it could still be something that for you no matter where you're at so um Really hope you guys enjoy. Make sure to listen, subscribe, and share. And once again, if you guys know anyone that might be a good fit for our show, please reach out and recommend them so we can make sure that the world finds out about their little corner of the universe. All right. Welcome back to another episode of My Corner of the Universe. Today, we have the pleasure of interviewing John Bush. He is an entrepreneur, public speaker, podcaster, activist, libertarian, 
cryptocurrency pioneer and all around good guy. Welcome to the show, John. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. So, um, we kind of wanted to get John here to talk about freedom cells. Mm-hmm. I uh, came across the idea of freedom cells from Event 202, okay. which was um, kind of a really cool event that was put on uh, in rebuke of Event 201. So if you don't know what Event 201 is, I encourage you to go check that out because it is very pertinent to everything that's going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. And then Event 202 was just like a hey, how can we have some positive ideas as people, not governments, but as people to be able to deal with these changes we see coming? And one of them was Freedom Cells. And from that Event 202, I really um, resonated with the idea of Freedom Cells. So kind of slowly dug into a little bit more of it and crossed the way. I found out that is, is Freedom Cells your idea or tell us a little bit about how that all gets started. Sure. Yeah, it was an idea I came up with uh, back in 2014. I've been an activist uh, for truth and freedom since 2002. And after getting involved in the Ron Paul campaign in 2007, formed a political action committee with some people called Texans for Accountable Government. It's still alive and well and doing great work to this day in the state of Texas. But uh, I was frustrated with political activism. And I came to realize that even when we had what appeared to be a victory, it wasn't in reality a victory because we weren't actually reducing the size and scope of government or its its role in our lives. Really, we were slowing the growth of government. So what we thought was really a step forward was actually just instead of five steps backwards, it was like four steps backwards. We even like passed bills to regulate Department of Homeland Security fusion centers and really stopped a lot of, like we stopped police officers from being able to take blood withdrawals from DWI suspects on the side of the road, which were, you know, that's great work, but it wasn't enough for me. So I started thinking about what can we do? What kind of network or organization can we build that will empower people to live free in an unfree world and uh, specifically leverage the whole strength and numbers concept? Because opting out of the state comes with a lot of great risks, but the more people that do it together, uh, the less risky and the more empowered people will will be to do that. So that's essentially what my mindset was when I started formulating the idea. Okay. And then it kind of picked up some steam. Uh, was that with the, kind of the help of Derek Bros or, or what did that look like? Yeah. So I had just came up with the idea and started sharing it on podcasts and speeches uh, in 2014 and 2015 And then I have two kids, uh, they're seven and eight. And at the time I kind of pulled back to focus on some parenting and entrepreneurship so I could lift my family out of poverty and um, pulled back from activism a little bit. And at the time, Derek Bros really picked up the concept and and popularized it and spread it. Now it's a a global movement with over 2,600 people that are involved on the Freedom Cells website and growing every day. Awesome. Yeah. So why don't you break down for everyone out there that's listening, kind of just what would be your uh, 10,000 foot overview of Freedom Cells? Sure. So essentially a Freedom Cell, the Freedom Cell Network is a network of small groups that are organized around eight people working together to achieve common goals and secure the sovereignty of group members. We use the number eight because there's been research done by a gentleman named John David Garcia, 
that shows that eight people tends to be the most creative and also the most effective. And so when you have like five people, there's not as many people to get things done. There's not as much ideas that are flowing. But when you have 15 people, then there's less group cohesion. There's more conflict yeah, I can and see there's that. more mm-hmm. competition of ideas and getting things done. Not that competition of ideas is bad. And so eight is this optimal number, although it doesn't have to be exactly eight. It could be six, it could be 10, it can be whatever. We try to promote this idea as like an open source operating system for a new form of social organization. So you get with eight of your closest family, friends, associates, and you come up with a vision and mission for your group, uh, some core values, and then you uh, come up with common goals you work on. And for that, we like to start off with that can benefit anyone, especially with everything going on in the world right now, is uh, everyone works together and they have three months worth of food storage. Uh, You put together an encrypted communication program like Telegram or an off-grid communication setup like shortwave or something or CB radios if you're close enough. Uh, Everyone has firearms and knows how to use them safely and proficiently. And then you can leverage the fact that it's a group operating together to perhaps all get the same caliber ammunition, right? Although not everyone, if you're not into firearms, if you're like pacifist or against guns, that's fine too. You can just drop that from your planning. And then the fourth goal is like everyone has a bug out plan and it doesn't, maybe it's the same place everyone goes to. Maybe one of the eight members has a big piece of property or whatever. Everyone's just on the same page, making sure that those goals are being accomplished. And just if you stop right there, that's beneficial in and of itself for improving our lives. But from there, you encourage the creation of other small groups. Ideally, you encourage the creation of eight other groups of eight. Now you have around 64 people. We call the first group of eight an inner cadre. Encourage the creation of other groups. We call this a middle cadre. Ideally, they're in the same smaller local area, right? Now you have 64 people that are working and supporting one another and providing mutual aid to one another. Uh, That 64 people aren't as dedicated as the eight people are to one another, but they're still, you know, more supportive Mm -hmm. and, and coalescing more so than with the general public. And then the idea is when you have your middle cadre with 64 people, you then network with other middle cadres throughout the state or the region or the Mm. country. And you form what we call a meta cadre, which is approximately 544 people, eight groups of 64. And then, you know, as this grows, fast forward two to five years, we confederate, we have a confederation of all these meta cadres and we form our own free society. So that's essentially the idea in a nutshell. And it's really in its infancies, even though it's been around for five years, it's starting to explode and catch on, take a life of its own. Yeah, I really see some legs, you know, we have living in some crazy times. So obviously people, yeah. So a lot of it is geographical as well, right? When you're talking about these different groups and cells, ideally, is it set up around around specific geographical locations where you're like, hey, you live in, like me and Rex live in Chico. So it's like, hey, we want to put one together of eight people in Chico and then we can kind of grow our geographical area. The country, is that kind of what you're you're talking about? Ideally, that's because we have the most benefit when we're in the same area as far as meeting, trading food with one another, coming to defense of one another against private or public criminals. However, we can form digital, I'm sorry, virtual communities as well for, you know, trading. Uh, there's some group, like we have a mastermind freedom cell group that's helping with business and self-improvement, stuff like that. So it doesn't necessarily have to be geographic, although that ought to be the core. Yeah. I mean, when you, when I originally heard, you know, the idea, 
masterminds kind of popped in my head because I was familiar with the mastermind concept and then also mm-hmm. like small groups from a church, you know, just having yeah. ways to be able to get to know people better. But now with these, it's, it's different because you really have a focused goal and direction. Um, and you can, you know, like you said, do a mastermind side, you know, sell if you want to, mm-hmm. but I like the idea where you have like, uh, you know, some real focus bullet points to be able to work off of. And especially you kind of mentioned, you know, if someone's not into firearms, there might be someone in your group that is. And I believe I heard in one of your, you know, uh, presentations where you could have potentially people running security, you know, uh, if you have, you know, uh, a larger group of people that, you know, have uh, a handful of people that are into firearms or, uh, you know, self-defense, that those people can, in essence, be a, a certain type of security Yeah, for sure. And so imagine you have 64 people and it's known and they're all in the same local area, preferably. And it's known that 12 of the 64 people are really good with firearms. Maybe a few of them are former former law enforcement or former military. Right. And so that group of 64, if they were to need security, they could rely on those folks. And within that group of 64, there could be so that like everyone's formed in the core inner cadre, but then there could also be a group that provides the security. There could also be a group of naturopaths and people that are into herbalism that provide the healthcare. There could be a group of parents that work from home and that want to homeschool the children now, and they provide like a homeschool cooperative. And then this idea can scale as well to where a whole variety of services that are normally provided by big corporations or the government can now be provided by the Freedom Cell Network. And one that's really easy to come to fruition and we will bring it to fruition someday is a health share, right? So I don't have the typical corporate health insurance. I do what's called a health share. It's called Zion Health Share. So I chip in a couple hundred bucks every month. And if there's to be some sort of big emergency, it's not for, you know, I don't go to a not normal right. doctor for regular mm-hmm. visits or whatever. I have a naturopath that I go to occasionally. But if I have like a car accident or something, God forbid, then everything is covered. I pay up to a thousand bucks, then everything after that is covered. But this exact same infrastructure and cooperative form of organization could easily be utilized when we have a group of 544 or 4,000 plus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Really cool concept. I like, I like that being able to uh, pool your resources. I think people just don't think that way right now. You know, everyone's so used to doing things a certain way. Yeah. And everyone's so used to, yeah. Fighting on their own. Mm -hmm. Um, Hey, I had a question. Have you noticed a higher adoption in urban areas versus rural areas? Just thinking of like, these last couple months of being in, let's say, New York City and there's riots or there's a pandemic and you can't leave. And all of a sudden, the idea of a freedom cell seems like a really, really great idea versus, um, you know, obviously rural areas where it seems like there might be more of a natural adaption. Has it been kind of across the board or has there been a higher growth in either way? Uh, Well, as you're saying that I'm pulling up the website, so people can go to freedomcells.org and we've built essentially like a social network, although we strongly encourage it not to be like a discussion group, Mm -hmm. but people like to do that a lot. Um, We want it to be like a platform for people to organize these groups. But one of the best features is there's a member map. So a lot of people are always like, oh, I don't know anyone in my area that thinks like I do. Well, you put in your address or an address in your area And you'll see little pin drops on a map and there's a whole lot of them. And um, 
I can't answer that question. I haven't analyzed it. Obviously, there's more pin drops in the bigger cities because there's mm-hmm. a higher population density. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I can't answer the question. But I can say that there's more people that are involved in cities. But there are drops that are scattered throughout the rural areas, most definitely. Yeah, I was just just a, it was just a random curiosity. Just the different, you know. I mean, where we live, you know, Chico's pretty pretty rural i mean it's a decent sized town but it's not it's not a you know a huge city so i could see the um the pull either way for rural or urban side there's definitely a trend towards people leaving the cities mm-hmm. um because and this covid stuff has only accelerated it yeah. i'm close friends with the jack spearco and he was he always points out that a lot of the industries that are experiencing a downfall and demise, they were already in trouble a whole lot. So I think people are kind of getting burnt out on the big city, especially big Democrat run cities that the policies are just totally onerous and there's having, there's an economic impact, property taxes and all that stuff. So our goal is actually, we have a freedom cell. It's a single purpose cell with the purpose of putting money together and acquiring property on the outskirts outside of the city of Austin um, we plan to do that beginning of 2022, hopefully the end of 2021, 2022. There's a lot of that mentality in the freedom cell movement. It does, this has been a, a dream of a lot of people in the whole mm-hmm. Liberty movement. And like I have two kids, we do a lot of unschooling and natural parenting type stuff. And that's always a goal of the unschooling parents and stuff too, for everyone to chip in and get their own property. So this can also be an outlet to help fulfill that goal as well. Nice. Do you, is there any sort of regulation that you do? I mean, I know you're not going in there and saying, Hey, you can't say this, but like if a cell starts to get too big, you know, where it becomes just a discussion forum, do you ever go in there and try and sway it? Or do you just kind of let everything flow organically? Well, the, so Derek and I are slightly at odds with that concept. I'm more of a hands-off, let it form organically. Uh, Although he doesn't want to control per se, but he is more concerned with the whole discussion element. So the website, as, as of now, we're not really doing much regulation or adminning on the website. I've been of the mindset that in order for community to grow, there needs to be some communication and some trust building, so on and so forth. Um, so I think we're going to be more proactive. Like That's one of the things that I've tried to focus on since I came back into the fray of largely just kind of being hands-off and Derek really just taking the banner and running with it and promoting it. Um, I'm trying to spend more time helping people to organize. Uh, For example, there's a group in Dallas-Fort Worth. They have like 14, 15 people and they meet regularly and they they live on a bunch of properties and they're trading amongst themselves and they're doing, it's not like a homeschool thing. It's more of an unschool thing, but they all have kids and stuff. So I've tried to give some time and focus to helping them uh, to have some direction and some cohesion and setting the goals, for example. But I think that we'll probably try to come in and try to steer people and encourage people to, we may even set up like an alternative site for discussion because it's, and that's what most people do. It's easy just to sit around and chat about Bill Gates or whatever, but that doesn't really change a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. trying to encourage people to start focusing on the building. Well, I mean, aside from the website, I mean, are you guys utilizing social media in any form for groups or is that not? Yeah, there's a, I'm I'm always like, let's just create groups wherever people are. But interestingly enough, we have a telegram group um, for just the general telegram for the general freedom cell movement. 
And there's like 85 people and it's way more active than the Facebook page, Facebook group, which has a little bit more people. So I think people appreciate the chat function there. And there's some discussion going on, but there's also a lot of strategy and a lot of, hey, I'm in this area. Is anyone here? Let's link up. I'm not so really familiar with Telegram. Tell me about that. Uh, well, it's an app that you can have on your phone or you can download it on your desktop, both PC and Mac. And it's encrypted, super secure. There's all sorts of voluntarists and anarchist uh, groups. Some of them are really large. And then you know, the beauty of the Freedom Cell thing is when a group gets too large, like 150, 200 people, there's, it's really hard to have cohesion and keep up with things. That's why you break up into smaller subgroups based on topics or areas or whatnot. But it's definitely an app worth having because it's encrypted. It's super simple to use. The features are pretty rich and, and you can join us on the Freedom Cell. And so basically, Telegram. if you were to, to go on the, the Telegram app, you would just search for Freedom Cells at that point once you're on there? Or is that how does it work? Um, I'm not sure if you could find it there. Um, you have to I have, have a direct link. link. Okay, yeah, I can you. send it to you guys for the show notes or whatever. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, I'll go ahead, Dress. No, no, go for it. Yeah, I had a, a kind of a quick little pivot question. Just I wanted to get your thought on it. You know, since you're also very you know skilled in in cryptocurrency, also, do you see cryptocurrency as something that kind of will hold side by side with these freedom cells as far as trade? Like, let's say it got to the point where you're you're really reliant on these freedom cells and the network that you're building as far as trade. Do you see it? being something where you can use a decentralized cryptocurrency for this type of trade? Or do you see the US dollar always holding as the main trading source in this country that we're in? So um, for a while now, even before cryptocurrency, I've always encouraged people to move away from the dollar. Like I was talking about agorism back in 2009 and the or 2010, 2009, the message was because this was alongside the end the Fed movement, right? And the message mm-hmm. was, if you really want to end the Fed, that the best thing we can do is limit our use of Federal Reserve notes, right? Because everyone's like, pass this HR, whatever that Ron Paul's pushing on at the Fed. Yeah. And meanwhile, they're only using dollars and powering the Fed and continuing that charade. So uh, we were into encouraging people to use silver dimes early on. Uh, we would go to farmer's markets. My ex-wife and I go to farmer's markets and encourage them to accept dimes. And occasionally, we'd come across some people that are like, oh, I'd love to take dimes. Yeah, 1964, yeah. they still had silver. And um, and then cryptocurrency came along and it was like, wow, this is, this is exactly what we've all been looking for. So um, there's a guy that does this podcast, this podcast group that we do called Unloose the Goose, unloosethegoose.com. And his name's Xavier Hawk, and he's the guy behind permacredits, which is kind of tying permaculture and land and community with with cryptocurrency. But he also has another project. I haven't really looked into it, but he was mentioning how it could serve as a platform for decision making. And so I, I had a vision of how cryptocurrency could be utilized in order to make decisions, because once we... Essentially, our big goal with Freedom Cells is to replace the state as a means of social organization for a large number of people and to form a infrastructure in order to provide services and support one another, right? No taxation or anything in providing services, but to, to help empower mutual aid and business and trade and commerce and support amongst one another. And so we would want to do things on consensus so people aren't forced into doing things, although the decision making could be fluid or different subgroups can come up with their own decision-making, but it would be perfect for when you sign up for the freedom cell network, or you like more formally join a cell, you are given a cryptocurrency address, right? Mm -hmm. Could ride on the back of the Bitcoin blockchain or could have its own blockchain. 
And then whenever there is a decision that needs to be made, you, you can make it within your group of eight where you vote by sending information in a transaction. And then whenever you have all eight, then that can essentially unlock like a um, multi-signature transaction that can then be sent to the bigger group or whatever. And so there's a lot of opportunity there. That's with decision-making another um, service, a function that could be provided by blockchain. And when it comes to trading and currency, yeah, barter, silver, gold, uh, cryptocurrency. Of course, there's always a problem with Bitcoin in that uh, the there's a problem with liquidity at times in that a lot of people want to hold Bitcoin as mm-hmm. though it's like a digital gold, right? Because the price is constantly going up. And I actually made the mistake early on, like or back in, I don't know what it was, 2011 or 2012 at Porkfest, we would sell breakfast tacos at our little Agora Valley vendor booth in New Hampshire for one Bitcoin for a breakfast taco. Wow! And so we get, we got a lot of income in Bitcoin and because we wanted to further and grow the movement, we would go around and spend that Bitcoin <laughs> to help the community and help yeah. grow this idea of using Bitcoin as a currency. Now it's like, Oh, I could have totally been set for life. Had I just yeah. held on to all of that Bitcoin. So there's that struggle, but maybe but it's a different currency. That yeah. But you're, but you're right though. I mean, in order for, in my opinion, I feel like in order for any cryptocurrency to work, it has to be used as a commerce. It can't just be used as a whole, you know, it's like for it to really be adapt, adopted on for, full use it has to be something that's used in commerce all the time like you said uh one one bitcoin for a breakfast taco that seems outrageous right now (laughs) the price of bitcoin but if it doesn't get to that point to where then you're using it to spend money to buy something and then they're using it for trade and they're using it for trade then it never really adopts as an actual real currency that's useful well i don't so bitcoin could serve as the reserve currency so to speak just mm-hmm. as with sound money principles, you used to have reserve gold mm-hmm. and then you had paper notes that were representative of that. So it could be that Bitcoin is like a reserve yeah. currency, a reserve holding or an asset protection in order to shield your assets from inflation or government manipulation or government thievery. And then there's like a smaller currency like a Bitcoin cash or whatever. But I don't know how it's all going to pan out. I do know that I don't want to spend Bitcoin nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Well, because you had done some Bitcoin road trips before. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Me and Catherine, we, um, this was like 2013, 2014. We started doing this. We did, uh, we had a, a school bus. We called it the Bitcoin bus. And so yeah. we would get sponsors. So they would support us. They were, most of them were crypto sponsors. They would support us with cryptocurrency donations. And then we would promote them and promote the idea of the currency. We would use their app. We used early on one of the first crypto debit cards where you load up crypto into a debit card account and then you can use the debit card. That's what we would use when there wasn't a restaurant that accepted Bitcoin directly, which was always the goal. And then we traveled all the way across the country. We did this four times all the way to the Southwest. And we used cryptocurrency only. Huh. The first few trips, we didn't have that card. And so it was a lot more difficult. Yeah, We lean on Gift, gift.com. It's an app you can still use in Whole Foods a whole lot. Every town that we come through, that that Whole Foods. But most of the big cities would have places that we'd go visit. It was a restaurant. We could use, they could use crypto. Early on, like the waiters and or the staff people really didn't know how to use it. It was usually yeah. like a, a, the owner was a big fan, but he never fully trained the staff. And so I think we did a valuable function for the, cryptocurrency ecosystem kind of show some of those pain points and show where the currency needed improvement in order to function as money, so to speak. But 
Yeah, those were the good old days, so to speak. Nice. Did you guys actually uh, go the route where you took the school bus and convert it to a schoolie and actually like remodeled mm-hmm. it, ripped all the chairs out, turned it into a little kind of schoolie RV? Yeah, it, before it was the Bitcoin bus, it was the unschool bus, and it was gifted to us by this unschooling family up in New Hampshire. So it was already converted to a schoolie, oh, and nice. we cruised it around. Um, one of the last trips that we did, we we managed to raise a lot of money for the, the trip, and we gutted it again and improved it and added all sorts of stuff. So that was that was pretty cool. But yeah, I was nice. a schoolie. She, nice. My my ex wife still lives in it. She loves it. <laughs> nice, that's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you kind of mentioned uh, unschooling, homeschooling. My wife and I uh, are homeschooling our kids. And um, I heard you kind of talk about um, the private school that your kids are going to. It wasn't Waldorf or it wasn't Montessori, but I'd never heard of it before. What was that, that type of school that your kids go to? Yeah, the school is uh, it's based on Reggio Emilia, which Reggio Emilia. came out of Italy shortly after World War II. Everyone was disillusioned by what had just happened with the war. And they were like, we really need to change things. Let's start with the children. So it was more of like a community-led school model where kind of like it takes a village. And the philosophy is there's three teachers. There's the teacher. First, there's the student, the first teacher. Then there's the teacher that really helps to facilitate the children's interest and kind of acts more as a guide rather than a top-down teach. I'm going to teach you what I think you need to know. And then the third teacher is the environment. And so a lot of Reggio Emilia has to do with setting up a nice proper classroom that's similar to some of the stuff with Montessori. Uh, but also there's a big focus on outdoors and learning outside. And my kiddo's school has like, it's on five acres. There's a Creek. There's all sorts of gardens and ducks and they do yoga and mindfulness. Awesome. And it's, it's great. Yeah, cool. And we kind of do a synergy between uh, some homeschool stuff, unschool in that, like my daughter's way into dance. So we're always down to facilitate that. My son just absolutely. And she like horses too. So she does horseback riding and stuff like that. And then my son is like, he's like a little botanist. He just loves plants and he'll, we'll be like going through a drive-thru or something and he'll point out, Hey, look at that. There's some seeds there. And he'll hop out of the car, grab seeds and take yeah. them. <laughs> so trying to facilitate that as, as much as possible. That's, That's awesome. Cool. I think right now, you know, obviously so many people are trying to figure out schooling like they never have before. And, you know, we have chances now to do some things that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do before because everyone is actually rethinking like, Hey, you know what? I I enjoy homeschooling my kid now, or, you know, or I don't have an opportunity to uh, send my kid to a school for whatever reason. So I think, you know, there's a a real opportunity and some of these alternatives have really um, been put together differently than our public schools, which were initially more or less to, train people to be factory workers. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. The the genesis of public schooling in the West was based on a Prussian model, which was essentially to really take out individualism and make good citizens, good capitalist workers. I don't have a problem with capitalism, but that was one of the big purposes. And uh, it's been problematic. And I think it's in the public schooling system is in large part why people are incapable of independent thinking and Mm -hmm. challenging uh, what they hear on the media, what they hear from the politicians, what they hear from the experts and authorities. And uh, it's really unfortunate. And it's, I think why people are really dumbed down. There's that John Taylor Gatto. Is it John Taylor Gatto? Yeah. Dumbing down, dumbing us down. Something like that is the name of it. And um, 
it's good they mentioned the word opportunity because I was just reading this book about it's uh, seven habits of highly effective people. And he, and he mentions Peter Drucker who says that successful people don't see problems. They see opportunities. So mm-hmm. for libertarians and agorists and anarchists, voluntarists, there is a really good opportunity. Now the old system is kind of going through some death throes and there's a lot of opportunity to present new ideas, to try things differently in a more decentralized way. And I'm, I've always been in the, I don't even think this is an idea. It's just a fact that it's a generational struggle. We're not going to be able to make change in the next election cycle or wake everyone up to the cause of liberty in the next five to 10 years. It's really a generational struggle and the enemies of liberty have had control and hold over future generations. They think generationally through their Illuminati and all yeah. their mm-hmm. Milner groups and roundtable groups and the CFR. So I think we need to step outside of the micro and think on a macro scale generationally and helping to empower our kids with freedom and, and giving them the freedom, right? There's a lot of libertarians that would still be really authoritarian with their kids or spank their children, for example. Um, no offense if that's what some parents do that are listening. <laughs> I would encourage them to challenge that and question that. But uh, if we give our children the freedom and we teach them to not just hand out respect because someone is older and is an authority figure, rather for people to earn respect and to respect them and respect earned is respect when respect is given, then I think it'll really create a whole new generation that'll think differently. And that just won't Mm. accept the authoritarian regime that many of us were programmed to accept when we were young. Yeah, definitely. I always find it interesting. Like when I grew up, you know, you'd see, um, anarchy symbols or like rage against the machine. And, um, it was always kind of this negative thing of like people I, I guess there is a yeah, there's a movement of anarchy as destruction, chaos. But the the more you look into the liberty movement of minimalist or anarchist, it's a it's it's actually the quite opposite. It's a it's not like hey, no government, we're going crazy. It's no government. This is a very thought out plan with a strategy involved of living and coexisting and having rules without a state. Um, so what do you what do you think about that as far as the dichotomy between the true like that idea of anarchy and then the other anarchy of like what maybe you see like in Portland or Seattle right now of like that anarchy movement and does it hurt the cause of the libertarian anarchy movement? Um, yeah, I guess the the left leaning anti capitalist more socialist leaning type folks have largely controlled the whole anarchy moniker right and it's like. Seattle World Trade Organization protests Mm -hmm. and anti-capitalist was a huge part of it. Um, And a lot of that is like an anti, a uh, reactionary way of thinking. We stand against something rather than standing for something in large part. And so with libertarianism, people are rooted in the principles of non-aggression principle, free markets. And so it's been really awesome to see this evolution of from minarchy and from Ron Paul Republicanism and libertarian party to more and more people embracing voluntarism and agorism. And um, I've had the privilege of watching it from the get go, right? Like the modern libertarian movement in large part sprung out of the Ron Paul campaign in 2008. Before that, there was a lot of intellectualism and there was a libertarian party, of course, Mm -hmm. Um, but really it just 
spread immensely and exponentially after Ron Paul. And it was cool to see myself. Like I was, a, I thought I was a Ron Paul Republican. Then I went to the Texas Republican party convention. and was like, wait a second, this isn't <laughs> for me. Uh, even the Ron Paul campaign sold out at the Republican national convention, which Catherine, my ex-wife went to and the campaign official campaign was like quieting people down. We don't want to cause problems because they have this long-term goal. And of course they wanted mm-hmm. to get their son, Rand Paul elected, which has served a lot of good, but it's been cool to see, people get fed up with politics and try to do something else something new. And so I think the emphasis, like you said, rather than tearing things down and being anti-state, it's important to be pro freedom. And I think that's the beauty of freedom cells because it gives people something to build on something to rally around. Um, and I also think a great strategy is something that I call anarcho toleration. So there's like ancoms or anarcho syndicalist or whatever, or statists, who am I to say that you can't have that form of social organization? My preference would be for you to just do that over there and honor my freedom to do that over here. Mm -hmm. But one nice middle ground to, you know, I've always focused on how do we go from here to there? Not just like, what does there look like? Or let's debate about how anarchy would serve this function or solve this problem. Let's actually like experiment and show people that it works. Cryptocurrency did that in large part. Uh, on a global scale, decentralized. Now we have this movement, this network, this institution that doesn't require government or any hierarchy whatsoever. Although it does have a lot of hierarchy at the end of the day, with like block stream and stuff, but like a good middle ground would be, uh, this is why we want to grow the freedom cell network. Say we have 10,000 or a hundred thousand people. Then we actually have leverage, but it's like, okay, here's the deal. We recognize that we still exist within the same area as the statists and they all have their geographic monopoly. Every single square inch of the whole planet is like this monopoly. And even with Lieberland, they're like, but there's this tiny little square inch that seems like it's not claimed. And they're like, no, you can't do that. Even with the seasteaders outside of the shore of Thailand, they're like, we're going to do this outside of your jurisdiction. And then they end up getting charged with a crime that's punishable by murder because the state of Thailand, the country of Thailand thinks that they're challenging their jurisdiction But maybe a nice middle ground, a compromise would be, okay, we're still going to exist in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still going to use the roads. So we'll pay the gas tax. Uh, If we go to the public parks, we'll contribute for that, you know, but we now have our own security apparatus and we're all heavily armed and we know how to take care of ourselves. So we don't want to pay for the police. We're all, most of us are into natural health and we don't need to rely on the healthcare system. So we don't want to pay an Obamacare tax. We definitely don't want to pay for the war. So Maybe as a transition, it's like this uh, a la carte traditional government and like people can just slowly start opting out mm-hmm. rather than just being like, we're not going to participate at all, but we're still going to leverage some of the infrastructure that I don't know. Maybe it could be a nice little middle ground, something that I've speculated on. Do you think this is a, any sort of possibility in the area that we're at if, let's say, the state of Jefferson became a real thing as being adopted are you familiar with state? You familiar with state of Jefferson area and whatnot? Is that a California thing? It's a yeah, it's a Northern California, Southern Oregon okay. thing. It's been a uh-huh. movement to be to break off, break off kind of the rural Northeastern California and Southwest Oregon to create the fifty first state, state of state of Jefferson. Yeah, Maybe there's a people nationally might not know about it as much as we do here locally. Sure, there's a handful of movements like that. There's one in Colorado also. Um, so there's this book called Bye Bye Miss American Empire that y'all should check out. And it talks about the history of secession in the United States and secessionist movements. And it talks about some of the more predominant ones. 
And so I do think that as time goes on and as government continues to fail, especially the United States federal government, lose grip. I mean, look at all the stuff that's going on in Oregon right now, for example, and all across Mm -hmm. the country. There's really like a constitutional crisis taking place. I do think that it will make it more probable for these uh, secessionist movements or at least creating a new state to, to take foot. And I think it's a very good thing to see further decentralization. I mean, this happened more recently with the Soviet Union, right? It was this massive one nation empire, it's communist empire, and then it split up and it failed. It got too big for its own good. And now you have all these Soviet bloc countries. We see the opposite happening with the European Union, um, which was like total conspiracy, Illuminati stuff, it's been in, in the works for quite some time. Um, but now we see that, oh, it got too big to control. It got too big for the economic benefit of the member states. And now we see the the Brexit stuff taking place. So I think maybe it's time, the United States time it has come and we're going to see that. But the thing is, I want to see solutions where we don't have to wait for that to happen. And we can try to start building the infrastructure and the social organization outside of the state because, the, you know, a state of Jefferson is still probably going to be pretty authoritarian, right? And there's right. still going to be, it's still going to be statist based. It's better to have more states and less centralization of power, but I want to promote the central decentralization all the way to the individual or the micro group or like a little city state, but they can all be, you know, if you have a huge pocket of freedom cell members and y'all grow to 5,000 or 10,000 people. And then it's like, we have these 10,000 people in unison that are going to all go and vote to be this other state or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's benefit or it's like, you know, there's a lot of people in this freedom cell that are now really uh, rejecting the California controls and stuff like that. So it's harder to govern them. Maybe it would be in our benefit. We basically just need to make it hard for the government to govern us. Yeah. That'll benefit all of us. I like it. Good concept. So I know you're limited on time. So why don't you tell us about Kratom? Uh, I think before the show started, I mentioned that I had first heard of Kratom from you and then I heard it um, on another podcast. But, you know, I I like to think that I'm pretty up to speed on uh, most uh, alternative slash natural health stuff. So I was surprised I've never heard of Kratom. Why don't you tell us what it is? Right on. Yeah, it's definitely grown in popularity in the West, especially since the DEA tried to ban it and added Schedule 1 in 2016. That backfired, and instead there's an explosion of awareness about it. But essentially, it's a member of the coffee family. It's made from the powderized leaves of the Kratom evergreen tree, which is grown primarily in Southeast Asia. It doesn't have caffeine like coffee, however. We import ours directly from Indonesia. There's a few different varieties. This is it right here, by the way. I'm drinking some. I like to mix mine with water. it actually tastes like bitter green tea i've developed a taste for it like a fine wine but the first time someone drinks it they'll probably be like whoa you can also take it in capsule form there's a few different varieties there's wet red green and white the red varieties tend to be better for body better for chronic pain relaxation people take it to help sleep the majority of people take kratom for chronic pain and they prefer kratom to prescription pain medicine because they feel woozy, they feel weird, and a lot of people become addicted to prescription pain medicine. And kratom can help people to overcome addiction by greatly minimizing, if not eliminating, withdrawal symptoms. So a lot of people hmm. are addicted to wow. all sorts of stuff, even heroin, uh, and they take kratom and minimize the withdrawal symptoms. They're able to transition to sobriety without feeling the need to go back to using the drug because they're so uncomfortable. 
The white varieties on the other side are more uplifting and energetic. That's what I'm drinking right now. They're good for focus, motivation, stress, anxiety. Um, a lot of people use it instead of drinking alcohol too, because it kind of helps take the edge off. So if you're like, some people say it helps with social lubrication. So if you're like going to a social event, you don't want to drink or you have a problem with drinking. So you don't want to drink, but you still want to kind of have something to do. It helps just kind of, I feel a little more at ease and more talkative. And then the green varieties, they're kind of in the middle. If you take a larger amount, it's a little bit more like the red, a smaller amount. It's kind of like the white, but they're really good for stress and anxiety and, uh, each of them have like a slight euphoric feel if you take it, a lot of it, um, but it's really subtle. So it's not like being high on cannabis. Uh, it's not as strong as taking a Vicodin, for example, where you feel kind of numb and itchy. Um, but it's a super subtle effect that allows people to just live their daily life, but have all those benefits without the side effects. Is that, and when you is said that, dosing, what, what's the dosing yeah. like? Um, so half a teaspoon to a teaspoon is a good place to start. If some of your listeners want to try some, I give away ounces for free. You go to freeounceofkratom.com, freeounceofkratom.com. You pay $5 shipping and handling, and I'll send you a free ounce of green mangda, which is the most versatile. So if it's your first time taking it, you'll want to take it on a full stomach or at least having a nice hearty snack and start with like half a teaspoon to a teaspoon in 12 to 16 ounces of water and then slowly drink it so you can kind of tell the effect. Some people feel like nauseous when they drink it. A lot of times because they drink too much, they drink it too fast or they're doing it on an empty stomach. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then you can also take capsules. So two to four capsules would be a good amount. And, you know, it's a great libertarian story because the government doesn't like it precisely because it's competition for the pharmaceutical companies. A lot of people like my girlfriend, for example, she quit Adderall and drinking in large part, she quit drinking altogether. She hasn't drank in like five months and she used to have a problem with drinking because she would take Adderall during the day and then she'd be all hyped up at night. So she'd drink, drink to yeah, pump to the brakes, as yeah, she would say. Yeah. But she was able to replace the Adderall with Kratom because she would feel overwhelmed like when she'd open her mailbox and she'd be like, I have so much stuff to do today. I feel overwhelmed. I'm, I need to take an Adderall. Instead, she would just make a Kratom drink and it had the same effect of being like, okay, focus, I can, got, I can do this. And so uh, the government doesn't like it because they're in bed with pharmaceutical companies. So right. they, there's actually this Obama era program called Operation Choke Point where they tried to stop money laundering. But in reality, what they ended up doing was the federal government pressures the banks, which in turn pressure the credit card companies not to do credit card transactions for Kratom, firearms, CBD, adult toy stores. These are my favorite industries here. Favorite. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I can't do credit cards, right? So we do e-check, which is like this electronic check. Totally oh, safe. Wow. So, they, so because of that, like PayPal and stuff doesn't work for Kratom? No, I've had my PayPal account shut down. Wow. My uh, roommate's wow. PayPal account was shut down. Square account. I, I had, so, like, but, they, but they can't stop for... it from coming in the country. Well, they, the FDA has issued import alerts to tell the border patrol and customs not to let it come through, but it just is flowing so much through that they can't stop it. So it's really a great form of agorism. And it's not supposed to be sold in this country as a, as a supplement. It's not approved as a dietary supplement. So does it have uh, any addictive anyway. properties to it? So if, if you take a whole lot of it every day and you take it for months on end, then you could become dependent on it as in physically dependent, as in if you stop taking it, you might experience irritability or headaches mm -hmm. or whatever. And so there are some people that were formerly addicted to heroin, for example, or prescription pain medicine, 
And then they stopped taking that stuff, but now they're taking a lot of Kratom. And so, and then they become dependent on Kratom. And so it's still, however, is an example of harm reduction because it's really, even though the FDA and the CDC and the misinformation out there would say otherwise, it's, it's, I don't think anyone's died from taking Kratom alone. I'm not going to say it's never happened because you can die from drinking too much water. Right. But they, the CDC and FDA say there's 47 Kratom related deaths in the past couple of years. And you go look it up, the same thing that happens with COVID. Oh, somebody was shot and had Kratom in their system. Or one guy like fell out of a window and he had Kratom in his system. So that's a Kratom related death. Or they had fentanyl and cocaine in their system. Kratom related death. Same thing with COVID. Do you know uh, the chemical structure? I mean, is there receptors in our body that take certain chemicals in the Kratom? What's actually going on with that? Yeah. um, But just so to caution people, if you do take a lot every single day, you can become dependent, much like people get headaches if they don't drink their coffee or caffeine. That's why it's important if it does become a regular staple in your, you know, your daily regimen to take a few days off here and there to give your body a chance to reset. But to answer your question, it does, it binds to the opioid receptors. So if you define an opioid as something that interacts with the opioid receptors, then it could be classified as an opioid. However, it doesn't bang on the opioid receptors as hard as the traditional pharmaceutical opioids do, or as, mm-hmm. as opiates like opium or heroin do. It also stimulates the dopamine and serotonin receptors, which can explain why it helps with stress and anxiety and elevated mood as well. And so it's this really special plant in that like serotonin reuptake inhibitors or like these prescription opioids, it binds to these receptors. However, it binds to them in more of a gentle and subtle way. So it's not as dependent. I don't like to use the word addictive because I define addictive like this guy, Dr. Gabor Mate does. So you have a physical dependency, but it becomes an addiction whenever there is negative consequences of you taking the substance. You're aware of the negative consequences. However, you continue to take it because mm-hmm. you're dependent, right? So that's why I don't like to use the word addiction. Now, if somebody becomes so damn dependent on Kratom that they're like stealing from their mother's purse or something in order to get their Kratom from the head shop down the road, then I would call that an addiction. But somebody that just takes it every day and continues to take it and doesn't, and they don't feel as good when they don't take it, I would call that a physical dependency. There's a fine line between the two. And then again, you know, it's always best to try to heal naturally. And if it's stress and anxiety, that's the problem rather than leaning on Kratom like I do, uh, to do yoga and meditation and so on and so forth. But it's a great tool that a lot of people. Well, yeah, I think for a lot of people, I mean, the opioid epidemic is so bad and getting off of these pharmaceuticals can just be a nightmare. So if it's a tool for someone like that, gosh, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know. Yeah. And as I say, John, you obviously know a ton about it. Do you have videos on it or do you suggest people YouTube a certain doctor or healer or neuropath or anybody that they should look up to learn more about Kratom that you've somewhere you found a lot of information from? Sure. Yeah. My personal, if you just search John Bush Kratom online on Google or DuckDuckGo, I should say, yeah, yeah. Um, or YouTube, there's a ton of videos. There's a doctor, if someone, there's a scientist, people are really interested in that angle. And he's doing a lot of groundbreaking research on how it actually interacts with the body. His name's Christopher McCurdy. He's okay. out of Florida, but I got a ton of videos. And again, people, if they want to just try it really low risk, five bucks, you can pay with cryptocurrency also Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash, dash and ethereum um you just pay five bucks i'll ship you some you can try it out and then you'll get i have this really i'm really into entrepreneurship and marketing so i have this really sweet um marketing sequence 
So if you, might, if you don't mind getting hammered with emails for the next yeah. two months. Um, Can we pay yeah. you in pre-1964 dimes? Sure, yeah. <laughs> in fact, if somebody wants to, just select yeah. other as the payment method. Say, yeah, say, I heard about over. you on my podcast. On yeah. Dimes. That'd be well, great. Before cool. we let you go, tell us a little bit about your podcast as well so people can check you out if they want to follow you. Oh, sure. Uh, good old Derek Bros invited, actually kind of invited myself to do uh, videos <laughs> on the Conscious Resistance Network. And so that like, I, I've had a YouTube channel that I've, I haven't really messed with. So there wasn't a whole lot of followers, but he has like 60,000 followers. So whenever I started doing that, it kind of inspired me to you know there's an audience. People are interested in my ideas. It was well received. And me and Derek Bros are really on the same page on a lot of stuff. So once I started doing that, I started publishing content again. And then... Um, all the videos that I do, I have a virtual assistant in India that downloads them and puts them on the podcast feed. So okay. people can go to the conscious resistance or my personal YouTube channel and search John Bush on, well, there's an anthrax drummer actually that comes up higher than I do. Oh, this yeah. guy, <laughs> uh, his name's John Bush also. And then jo- George Bush's knee, uh, nephew or something's also John Bush. So no relation, no relation. Well. No relation, totally different. But you can also go to livefreenow.show, livefreenow.show to check out the podcast. And okay. I can talk about all the kinds of stuff that we've been talking about today. Nice. Awesome. And it, once again, if, if people are interested in freedom cells, learning more about it, I know that you guys do calls every once in a while, like uh, international calls. Do you have anything like that lined up coming up? Uh, we are going to be scheduling one soon. There isn't one scheduled. There's also the, the beauty of this movement is like, there's been people that just are like, Hey, let's do a weekly social call. So people are doing weekly social calls. I think you can find the event. If you go to Facebook and search organizing freedom cells, that's the name of the Facebook group. But if you join freedomcells.org, we do a lot of communication through there and and bulletins and stuff like that. So go to freedomcells.org, register on the site, put your skills, put your location. If you don't want to put your exact address, put like a park down the road from your place or whatever, or Starbucks in your area and then get involved in the community there. And we'll be sure to communicate with people whenever we're doing the next uh, international conference call. Awesome. I love it. I really like everything that we've talked about today and really thinking outside the box. And especially, I mean, I think right now people are seeing that, um, you know, now is the time to think outside the box. We have an opportunity to change things and Mm -hmm. it all starts with working together on individual levels and really taking control of our own lives. So, uh, I just want to thank you again so much for coming on the show. Um, and I really look forward to uh, growing my own freedom cell here. Yeah, man, for sure. I'll, I'll make myself available if you need any tips or want to help get organized or Great. ideas. Awesome. I'm here. Cool. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Thanks, guys. If you like today's episode, you can find more information at mycorneruniverse.com. And don't forget to subscribe. Thank you. Let's face it, we're living in some unprecedented times, and there's never been a better time to have a plan B. Working from home has become the new norm. And let's face it, multiple streams of income just make sense. As the world changes, we need to change with it. If you're looking for a plan B, head on over to mycorneruftheuniverse.com forward slash support the show and click on LifeWave. It's a business in a box. Starting a home-based business can be scary, but with LifeWave, you'll get all the support and help you need to get your business up and running, and you'll be in one of the biggest trends in the market, stem cells. So 
head on over to mycorneroftheuniverse.com forward slash support the show, click on LifeWave, and see how you can get involved in the stem cell industry at home.